Listening Dog Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. DJ. Hello, I'm Chris Hawkins and this is How to DJ. How to DJ. This weird thing called music. You know, what is it? It's 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 spiritual, it's religious, it, it can travel faster than the speed of light. I played to like, I think it was 12,000 people, you know, playing the midnight set as well. It was just amazing. There was a moment there where they kind of, our boys on the telly. A podcast exploring life stories, techniques, minds and experiences of most loved DJs, where I asked them to pick five questions from a box of 45. And for this episode... A DJ who spent more than a decade on Absolute Radio. I mean, I, I genuinely think Absolute Radio listeners are the best audience in the world. They're just, the stuff they come back with makes me absolutely wet myself. He presents Home Time with Richie Firth. I think as soon as we put the first demo together, we knew that it, there was something there and it was going to work. We thought in a similar kind of way, like Richie's got a really, really good work ethic. And he's a massive Everton fan. Andy Bush, welcome to How's a DJ. Uh, hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for reminding me about Everton there as well. Just let, let my heart rate go right up again. <laughs> Andy, before heading into the box of questions, where and when did your DJ journey start? I, my DJ journey started kind of by accident, really. I mean, I had no prior interest in radio whatsoever. I was I moved to Bristol after university to, to, to play in a band, so we were gigging a hell of a lot. And I was just doing a, a job in the day to pay the bills. Uh, BT, looking for BT, just phoning people up when they're having their tea and getting sworn at and stuff, trying to sell them call minders and stuff like that. And on my lunch break, I went, I took a little walk in Clifton in Bristol and they had a careers fair on and they were advertising for traffic news readers. I didn't drive, but I just thought, oh, that sounds like a good, slightly different thing to do. I recorded a demo on a cassette tape, talking into a cassette tape, olden days, and ended up getting a job from there. So it was years and years and years ago, probably around about, you know, maybe two, year 2000, that kind of era. But I got my, my start in radio was was doing traffic news. Uh, so, and it was just a great experience because we, we'd worked for a company called Traffic Link in Bristol in the evening post building. And you would dial into loads of different shows across the day. So it was just really good experience and an education in I, I, a key thing, I think, in radio, which is getting the point of where someone's trying to go with a piece and trying to support them with that rather than, just saying whatever you want to say and taking someone off track. So, and also being talking to time and being aware of kind of like trying to deliver stuff in a punchy way with, you know, with the, the smallest amount of words possible, I, I guess, kind of being a bit kind of, a bit more kind of direct with what you do. So yeah, my, my radio career started like that. My, my adventure in radio, I, I suppose, kind of by accident. Were you good at it? 
Not really. I used to make it up because I didn't drive. I used to literally make it up. It's terrible, really. All those people who were relying on me for, for you know, by the minute traffic news, I was just literally drawing stuff on bits of paper and making it up. So I wasn't very good at that bit, I don't think. I wasn't a very good traffic presenter. But I think the bit where I found that I, you know, I'm not very good at being formal. So traffic news or news and stuff is, is quite formal. Whereas the bit off the back then where the presenter wanted to ask you a question about something they were they were talking about on the show, I found that a little bit easier. So I kind of found out fairly quickly that I, I guess formal radio or, or statistics or, or facts and stuff wasn't really my bag, but mucking around based on something that the presenter was talking about is something that I enjoyed and, you know, got to be fairly good at, I guess. Were there any shows that you especially loved doing? Yeah, I used to love dialing into the the old GWR FM breakfast show, which was classic old school radio names of Joe the Fridge McGrath and Howard Taylor and Vicky Breakwell. And I, I just kind of idolised them. It was, it was like, I don't know whether people still have the same thing anymore, but back then was, we were absolutely terrified, terrified of the people doing the breakfast show. So if you were going for a beer with people after work, if the breakfast show people turned up, you're like, oh my God, it's the breakfast show, it's the breakfast show, it's the breakfast show. What if I get to talk to them? So I was kind of absolutely terrified of them, but it, it was just a real honour to go from not having any involvement in radio to suddenly having a little bit on their show and, and they would trust you, you know, by throwing you, you know, something that they were talking about, which, which is, a, you know, a hell of a trust because you could take it any kind of terrible angle. So uh, you, you kind of learn to go along with, you, you know, you get you get a sense of what they're talking about and where they're trying to go with it, and you're not trying to derail it too much. Yeah, I was kind of proud to, proud to be on that, really, to be part of it, a little part of it anyway. And that made you want to do more, did it? Yeah. Yeah, that, that side of things, definitely. I thought, you know, I, I can do I can do this, really. I, I'm, you know, I can talk about stuff. I can come up with ideas. I, for me, even right from the very beginning, you know, the first show that we had on on, on GWR in Bristol was the drive time show and I wanted to make it like sketches and I think we were one of the first people to do kind of like you know bespoke written silly idents that they now do on absolute radio and they do them on on jack fm and everything like that as well but I just wanted to I didn't go into commercial radio particularly liking it really to be honest with you I think I went into it thinking I don't like this I'd love to change this I think we can do better like this and it and it and it kind of went from there really and I don't mean that in a kind of big-headed way it's just that I went into it in a kind of slightly adversarial way you still lie there and listen to Gemini FM down in Devon and just think oh I'd love to have a go at this and kind of change it change it a little bit and I guess we're lucky enough to get the opportunity to to do that. How long did you do that in Bristol for? So we did the breakfast show in Bristol for 10 years. The Bush and Troy show, it started out as. Then GCAP, I think it was called, got bought out and was we became Heart. And that, that was where the kind of problems started for me a little bit because it was the Bush and Troy show. And within a regional area of like Somerset and Bristol and stuff, you know, we were pretty famous and we were doing really well. And then Heart, I guess you have to be subservient to the overall sound. So you, you go from this, this thing where you had complete creative freedom where we could write our own jingles do our own sketches and have comedy characters on etc and then suddenly when heart came along you've got to do your intros like this you go into the news like that and you talk this way and it's got to be you've got to talk about these themes and avoid this and and, and that's when I felt like things started to get restricted and that's when I felt like I had to get the hell out of there so how did you get out absolute radio behind the scenes kind of made a move for us as a breakfast show I guess a year or so into heart 
and, and it just wouldn't work at the time because obviously trying to get three people to move to London from Bristol was just a hell of a thing. And I mean, I was up for it. One of the team wasn't really up for it, I guess, and which is fair enough because you know you know you've got to move your whole family and everything like that as well. But I was I was desperate to to get to London and do something a bit different, and I just stayed in touch with with Clive Dickens, head of Absolute Radio at that time, and stayed in touch. And when a, when a vacancy came up, I think Nick Jackson left the afternoon show. I just said to Clive, you know, give me give me a chance on this. I, I've I've always looked at afternoon daytime radio as like a a real area where I could bring a bit of breakfast personality and you know I'm just really fortunate that he gave me a shot at it how did it go and what do you remember about your first day walking into golden square I was bricking it I was absolutely bricking it I think before I moved they tried to stop me from leaving not in a bad way but you know you get these kind of ghosts of people who have regional or local radio presenters that have gone tried tried their hand at national radio and just you know like wrecks on the side of the road I remember my dad worked in Saudi Arabia for a, a couple of years and he used to tell me that what they would do if people would drink driving or whatever is not is let the car crash and then not clear it off the side of the road as a warning to others. And I just felt like the the road to London was was littered with people who'd you know got ideas above their station and, and absolutely crashed and burnt. So I was really I was quite panicked about getting to London and just being terrible. Also, you know, I'm quite different to what they had before. You know, Nick Jackson is a fantastic broadcaster, but was more from the mould of you know formatics. This kind of you know sense of being tight they used to call it or you know it's really kind of like slick and I definitely wasn't that I was the direct opposite of that but I was trying to I guess bring a bit of humor and and personality a bit more into an area of radio which that wasn't really a thing so much I don't think particularly absolute at that time it was more kind of like how many songs you can get away and all that talking over intros and back announcing and all that kind of stuff I'm not interested in any of that at all but I went on there at first and I just had this huge it was almost like a decompression it reminds me of that bit in the in Aliens, the movie where they're they're landing on the planet and they're they're all clipped in, and it's just going through all these kind of storms and lightning. And I felt the first six months at Absolute Radio was just my radar was completely out. I was getting loads of complaints about the stuff I was saying because I'd come from the safety of of Bristol, where you could kind of say anything you want. We you, you could say pretty much anything you want because people trusted us and they knew us and we'd been doing it for years. And then I, I tried to transplant that to the ecosystem of, of national radio or London or the West End or whatever. And it was just completely malfunctioning. I was just offending people and and it was just it was a really bumpy, bumpy landing. But you know, I've got to got to give credit to, you know, my boss Paul Sylvester and and Clive Dickens. They were really and Tony Mori. They were really, really encouraging and just kind of let me do my thing. I think if I think if they'd have got stuck in too early and and tried to change stuff, then maybe I would have just fallen apart and it wouldn't have worked. And Maybe, you know, I'd, I'd be back in Bristol or something, but they just let me kind of settle down and then I kind of found my feet, really. How do you think you found your feet? Mainly through, I think, a good connection with the listeners. I've always had a good, persistent communication with listeners, whether it's Twitter or Instagram, and that's really important for me. I don't just tweet so I can get stuff for the show later on. I constantly want to be talking to them because, you know, if you're sitting in a room with a red light on, you've got no idea how you're doing, really, bar maybe the texts or whatever. So I just kind of constantly was reaching out and chatting to people on Twitter and just type of, you know, maybe they're not they're not getting my shtick yet, but if I can do all the other stuff well where I'm, you know, being 
friendly and supportive and chatting back to people and answering people's, you know, if people are having a go at you, kind of like turn it into a bit of a joke and come here, give us a hug, all that kind of stuff. I think I just settled in through a combination of reaching out and communicating with people and getting a sense that it was actually going all right. It wasn't going as bad as I thought. And then just dusting myself down each day and then going in. Because, you know, I'd never done radio on my own at, at that point. That was that was the weird thing. There's such a big difference with if you broadcast within a, in, a, in a team, like a breakfast show, you're constantly, one person's got the ball, you can get your breath back, they pass it to you. So you're kind of helping each other out a little bit. But when you're on your own, just that sense where you, you're you're trying to get a joke to land and then you have to have that kind of confidence to just allow a couple of seconds. But a couple of seconds of, you know, that kind of painful dead air, but you need that that beat, that pacing in things for it to sound like a normal conversation. But when you're not used to that, it's the weirdest thing in the world. It really it took so long to get used to just kind of not talking to myself, because I felt like all the time I was talking to them, but being on my own whilst trying to deliver stuff. But you know, trying to keep that that confidence that wasn't gonna you know, shy away from trying to talk about things the way I used to talk about them on on the breakfast show. So that that was that was the the toughest thing. But it was it was just doing it again, doing it again. And I guess the good thing at Absolute Radio is that I joined during the 2012 London Olympics. So we had so much stuff on that you just don't have any time to think about it. You're 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 away. I mean, I was introducing Duran Duran at the big gig there at Hyde Park and Blur and all that kind of stuff. So. It was just a sequence of me, situations where I would normally, if I had any time to think about it, I'd be bricking it, but I was just thrust from one thing to another. So I didn't have a chance to, didn't have a chance to um, panic about it too much. So it was kind of like, almost like inoculation through frequent exposure to terrifying situations. DJ. How to DJ. How to DJ with Chris Hawkins. When did Afternoons turn into home time with Richie? So Dave Berry came in from Capital and did drive time for a little bit. And I mean, I don't know whether they knew. I I think they didn't know what Christian's, they had no idea about Christian O'Connell's plan to move to do breakfast in in Australia. That completely caught everybody on the hop, like literally everybody. And I I think the plan was to welcome and ease Dave Berry into the Absolute Radio family over a, a bit more of a progression than than the amount of time he was there. Because he wasn't really there that long before, bang, Christian's gone to Australia, Dave's doing the breakfast show, and suddenly home time is available. And, you know, when I first joined, you know, Jeff Lloyd and Annabelle Port were doing home time, which, you know, two proper legends. So, I've you know, before that, Pete and Jeff on Virgin. So, for me, it was like a show that had real status. And, I, you know, I just emailed my boss, Paul, and said, look, I'd love to do this. And he suggested putting Richie and I together, we were consciously coupled because obviously Richie was then obviously, you know, Christian had gone. So he was looking for somewhere to, to move Richie to. And we, and I'll be honest with you, I hadn't really thought about it before at all. You know, I've known Richie for years within, within radio, but we'd never really thought about working together like that before. So I, cause I was just like a, I'm a solo DJ guy. That's what I do now. Obviously got my head into that since I, since I left the breakfast show and it taken ages to get my kind of act right and all that kind of stuff. So I'd not really thought about the whole double act thing. And it was, you know, it was Paul's idea. He put us together. We did a couple of demos. And I think as soon as we put the first demo together, we knew that there was something there and it was going to work. And we thought in a similar kind of way, like Richie's got a really, really good work ethic. Same as me. I work, I do work hard on what I do. I didn't want to, get kind of paired up with somebody that was just going to coast and 
and and Richie's not that like that at all. We both have a a similar passion for wanting to make the show you know as good as we possibly can. So you know, I'm really fortunate that we've been we've been matched up together. I really you know I really am. How does the show come together on a daily basis, Andy? So we've always got notebooks, notebooks on the go. I'm constantly making notes, constantly putting stuff out there on Twitter. This is where that persistent conversation with the audience is so beneficial because, you know, I'll, I'll try stuff out. And, and if you get a really good reaction, they think, oh, there could be something in this. So what we'll normally do is we'll get in at one o'clock and then Richie and I will go off somewhere. We used to go to a cafe or try and find a quiet room at work and we'll we'll kind of say what we've got for each day. Like I'm thinking about this. This happened at the weekend. I was thinking maybe something along these lines. And I'll and I'll kind of like riff off what he's good because sometimes some of our best ideas have been a reaction someone else has had to something that you think oh, I don't know if there's anything in this and they'll be like ah oh, no hold on a minute we could do this and then yeah then we've got something so we'll talk it through and then we have a a production meeting with the producers we tell them what we're going to do the order we're going to do it how we want to do it what production we need and then Adam our producer and Nick our other producer they kind of get all that stuff sorted and then this is the this is the problem with, with, with doing drive time you've got that kind of weird hour from three till four sitting there getting ready to go breakfast is great because you get in and you just go and do it and we don't have time to think about doing a breakfast show whereas I think if you've got any self-doubt on anything drive time can be quite bad because you've got you've got a, you've got a bit of time to sit there and pick your own ideas apart or talk yourself out of doing something a bit different yeah in a geeky way I'd love to find out a bit more about those those conversations that that you and Richie have pre-show. So what about like for today's show? How's that conversation going to go? I've always got an ongoing list of, of things. So what I'll do, I'll make a note in my phone. So I, I'll walk around, I'll take a photo of it if I've spotted something. And then my, my, my phone is just like a, a huge pack of weird stuff. And you've got to write it down. Otherwise, I, I think you get like, an hour to write it down, otherwise it's gone. So the stuff at the front of my list at the moment is a thing called MO, massively overrated. What things in life do you think are massively overrated? I've come up with an idea for a thing called spoiler, which I've not spoken to Richie about yet, but a sentence that is the ending of a movie. People got to guess what the films are. When we were in the pub on Friday, underneath our table was a carrier bag stuffed, packed, literally stuffed full of Moana dolls. It's the weirdest, weirdest thing I've ever found in a pub in my entire life. So... I was going to pitch to Richie today. Why don't we do something along the lines of what's the strangest thing you've ever found? And I'll normally match that stuff, those things I've put to Richie up with having put it on Twitter as well. So I can kind of, I can kind of see whether there's anything in it, whether the, the audience might be into it. I'll say to him, look, I've got this. What have you found? An idea for a competition called Spoiler. Da, 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 da. Richie will say, and I've got this, 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 this. And we'll just have this kind of smorgasbord of, of ideas. We know that most shows will be one each and one and one other different things. So we'll normally will normally be a phoner from me, a phoner from him, and then one other. We normally do a feature in each of the six PM hours, so it normally means yeah, one topic each plus whatever we run in the six. And then we'll talk through how we think that phoner will, will pan out, whether that's my idea or his idea. And is there any other stuff we can do with it? Or because you've got that kind of slider in radio where you might have something, the initial in is quite weird. And sometimes weird stuff kind of works quite well. So like, for example, say if you find a shoe, this has happened the other day, actually, single solitary shoe on the wall at the end of my road. Like, 
I, I'm thinking that now. I could either go in with, let's come up with a backstory to how what's happened here, which is quite weird, but if they get it, the audience, it'll be great. Or you can kind of move the slider the other way. And this is a lot of the conversation that we have really is like how kind of obtuse we go with it. Or you could go, strangest thing you found on your street. And it's like, it's where you move that slider. I think that's a lot of the conversation is like, that's a great idea. I think that'll work as a phoner, but how do we how do we communicate that? The, the other big thing is how you put that in social media in the show in a way that doesn't lose them a little bit because you're just trying to, you know, you're just trying to keep them on on point so they understand where you're going. I mean, I, I think both Richie and I spent time with Bill McMahon, the consultant from America that GCAP brought in for, you know, a period of time to train up a lot of the breakfast shows. And I still use Bill McMahon's methodology in, in putting radio pieces together, which is his thing was a trigger lead-in, dazzling detail, and then a power out. So a start of the link that captures people's attention. Make sure you've got some stuff that will create theatre of the mind for the audience, two or three little bits, and then you need an out, an out that you need to know where you're going to with links. And above all of that is having a point. And that is just like thinking to myself, what, what am I trying to get them to think about here? Because it's so easy to say the wrong thing at the start of a link that makes them go down a different route and, and you don't end up getting back what you want to get out of it. So yeah, I guess that conversation is is a lot of soundboarding each other, see what what the other person thinks of stuff. Have you got anything on this? Is this something that interests you? And then agreeing democratically what's a good way to go with it as a piece so that we can get the most out of it for the for the benefit of the show as a whole. I get all of that and and it it resonates. There's something about being openly niche, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. How much do you feel like you lean on your audience? I mean, they're brilliant. I mean, I, I genuinely think Absolute Radio listeners are the best audience in the world. They're just, the stuff they come back with makes me absolutely wet myself. I absolutely, they're hilarious. And it's the best thing about doing the job because it's just such, it's such a lovely thing to put someone out there. And then some of the stuff they get back is funnier than anything you could have thought of. And they're just brilliant. They're brilliant. And going into a, a piece on air and knowing you're already armed with two or three great suggestions from people. It's just fantastic. You know that it's uh you're on to you've already got half the job done because you've got some great stuff to already to already start with. I'm always amazed on the show that I do at like six AM, six thirty in the morning, you got people writing quite long messages and, and really <laughs> yeah. well thought through and you're thinking, How have you got time to do this? But thank you for taking the time yeah. to respond to have you ever been hit on the head by a shoe at a gig or something, you know? <laughs> well no, and, and I think that, that early breakfast bit the the, the the early bit, like the six till seven, there's some brilliant people at that particular time. That's like a real I don't know, I think that's a really like a hotbed of, of of some good stuff at that time in the morning. You get some people who come in with some really interesting things then as well. You're going to stay doing home time? Yes, absolutely. I guess it, it's almost ridiculous to ask you, you know, what, what ambitions do you have? Because I'm guessing that your response to that would be, I am doing what I always dreamt of doing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I am. I am. I'm happy where I am. I, I we've, Our boss, Paul Sylvester, is fantastic in that he gives us complete editorial and creative freedom. I feel like we're looked after by Bauer. They're a good company that, that does look after us and that we, you know, and then let's do our thing, which is great. So I'm getting to do exciting stuff and I feel like the show is evolving all the time. So, I mean, I've still got ambitions like I would like, I'd like to at some point do talk radio. That's something I've never done before in my life and I'd love to to test out and see how that would go. 
and it's great, you know, now that, that as as the whole Bauer thing kind of develops and opens up, there are there are, there are areas in Bauer that you can, you know, move into. I did, I did some work last year with, with Scala Radio about the anniversary of Beethoven's birthday and all that kind of thing. So it's nice to kind of spread out into different genres some somewhat as well. But I definitely see my my future with with Bauer and everything, and I'm, I'm really happy where I am. Rick Baxill, one of your seniors at Bauer, you, you just made me think of something that he told me when he was my boss and we're on the subject of how you frame something for your audience at whatever question you're going to ask. To be very clear, he talked about something that he said he, he hears on the radio far too often. Get in touch. And, and he would always say, why? why? Get in t- About what? And this is one thing that's a real danger when you, I guess when you broadcast on your own, there's a lot of kind of like, crutch phrases that you can use I, I certainly sometimes can default into that where you you're using a phrase to give yourself time to think and you don't even yeah. you don't even know you're saying it keeping an eye on that stuff is is hugely important i know he's absolutely right andy time for the first of your five picks from 45 in this record box at my side here all the questions are on 45 steve so i'll dip in you say when i'll pull one out okay okay sounds good uh when your first question from the box. What's the strangest thing you've done on the radio? Strangest thing we've done on the radio. We've done some weird stuff. In Bristol, we gave away a funeral, which I thought was, was quite good. So that, that was a, weirdly a, a funeral director, like a company, came to us with an idea about wanting to try to get me more awareness of the eco burials that they were doing. And we, we ran a competition for people to win their own funeral, which uh, is weird. But it was great and cut through really well. We got into the papers with it and all that kind of stuff as well. So that's that's definitely up there with one of the weirdest things we've ever done. <laughs> Back into the box for a second question. Uh, when? This one is, if you weren't a DJ, what would you be? God, that's a good question, isn't it? I don't know. My career before... Being a DJ was catering, really. I mean, I was I worked in loads of kitchens in Devon and stuff like that as well. That's why I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm blessed to have a period of working in like a proper job because I don't feel like this is a proper job at all. And sometimes when I hear people moan about, oh, I've got to do this, that, or whatever, I just think you haven't got a clue. People that I work with, like you haven't got a clue what proper work is. Like doing a split shift as a kitchen porter in a in a canteen or a cafe in South Devon or something like that. So I feel like I feel really blessed to of done that for a bit I think maybe it'd be, be catering I love catering I, and for me working sitting there and chatting with people whilst you're folding cutlery getting it ready for service or or cleaning out the walk-in fridge and just hearing for me hearing people's stories was just the best thing and I've, I feel like I've taken that on into what I do with the show I I, I I collect what people say I love listening to how people talk and their turn of phrase and I'm really lucky and proud to have worked with a you know some some chefs and stuff that were just so funny back in the day. We used to go for a ciggy break out the back. Just the stories he used to tell or things he used to get up to. He used to just store all that. I think I love that. That's fantastic. So yeah, I probably, I think I'd still be in the world of catering or something like that, I imagine. What are the interviews you're most proud of, Andy? Well, I, I find interviews fascinating because they are like a, a battle of wills. I find junkets particularly fascinating where, you know, you go to a hotel and and then the, the, the company wants you to brick it so much that you ask exactly what they want you to ask because you see so you putty in their hands through making you sign in and then sit in the hallway outside the room like you're waiting for an STI test or something like that. And then you go in and finally interview the person with all the cameras around them. So 
I've done loads of junkets and, and really, really tried to make them a thing that I'm good at. And I, d- I don't know if there's any way to be really good at them because you get six minutes with somebody and you can't you can't form a rapport with anyone at all. So uh, we're very lucky at Bauer that people will come in and come into the studio. So, you know, I remember having Idris Elba on with me on breakfast when I was covering breakfast for a bit. He did the whole morning with me and he was absolutely brilliant. I've just recorded recently a chat with Blur that I was was quite nervous about really because they're my they're my favorite band and very rarely do they do a whole you know all of them an interview together Damon doesn't suffer fools so it was it was a combination of like oh god how's this going to go sometimes you're at your worst when you you overly admire the people that you're interviewing you know and it was great they were brilliant And and also as well Depeche Mode Martin Gore and Dave Garn from Depeche Mode came in for a chat about a month ago and and that was great they were they were up for talking about anything. Yeah, I think Blur and, and Depeche Mode are two of the interviews that I'm the most proud of so far. Not surprisingly. Back into the box then, Andy, for your third question, say when. Okay, when? This may well follow, oddly, co- coincidentally, what, what you've just been talking about and, uh-huh. and the bands that you've just mentioned. Is there a song that you lose yourself in? Oh, that is a good one, isn't it? A song that I lose myself in. Well, it, it will it will tie in it will tie in with with Blur because "Pop Scene" by Blur is possibly my favourite song of all time. And as soon as I hear it, I'm instantly teleported back to early '90s because I love leisure era Blur when they were kind of slightly off the rails, you know, kind of clearly quite inebriated during all of their live performances. And I just love that. I love that album and stuff as well. And they were pop scene. I think is Blur's thumbing their nose at the music industry and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, for me, pop scene by Blur just makes me want to go and jump into a a gig of people crowd surfing and stuff like that. I love it. My one would be Talking Heads Once in a Lifetime. Tune, great tune. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've both played that a fair few times already. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> Back into the box for your fourth question. Okay, when? What's your best advice to a DJ? Best advice. It's tricky. It is really tricky. It's so it's so weird because I, I I've grown up and I don't mean this in in a big headed way. I, I never listened I don't listen to any don't listen to radio at all. So I've not I've not kind of like um tried to refine what I do through oh that's kind of good or they do this differently, let me try that. So I guess I probably have more trial and error of just me being crap and then realising that doesn't work and then trying it a different way rather than hearing what someone else does. But I think there's quite a danger in starting out at the beginning of your career, I would say, and it's, this is say if we, were, if we were talking to somebody who's just starting out in radio and trying to have a overall developed kind of person that you want to be and you want to, you want to try and, you know, put that out there. This is the, This is the kind of person that I am. I'm kind of, you know cool, I do this, or I'm into, you know, I, I've got loads of music knowledge. It's like, you've just got to try and be yourself. I think that the, the further you try and get from yourself and, and that you become a bit of an act, I mean, all of it's a bit of an act, but I think the further that point is from who you actually really are, it will just strangle you, I think, down the line. You'll just be restricted by it. So I kind of know when I'm talking, I'm all, I, I, I always say on the radio exactly what I would normally say to anyone in the street or in the pub or whatever. And I don't have to think about it. But I know there was there was certainly a period of time where back in the day where people wanted you to play a certain role on breakfast shows and 
using this awful friends analogy, which which character from friends are you and all this kind of stuff. It's just horrendous. You just got to be be who you who you want to be, who you are. And that's sometimes why I have no, I don't have a problem with it, but you know, you get you get people come and work at Absolute who who have come out of student radio, out of university, and and they're straight in. And it's really difficult because you need to just sometimes just find out who you are a little bit and make some mistakes. And it's difficult because there's nowhere to make those mistakes anymore. When I when I was when I was starting in radio, there was like overnights on Wyvern and you know that 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 whole that whole area is gone now. So people don't people are like you're straight in at the top for a lot of a lot of places. And you do get a load you get a load of stick from the audience as well. You know, even right at the beginning for me, they'll give you you'll get a lot of stick on text and you're terrible. This is the worst thing I've ever heard. And you know all those awful people on was it Digital Spy? All those kind of like nasty people Poison. on forums. And it's it's very easy to allow that stuff to affect you. And it's quite easy for me to sat here be sat here twenty odd years into my career going, you know, don't let it get you. But I think if you're if you maintain faith in who you are and don't and don't let that stuff affect you and allow yourself the room to make mistakes and listen to people, then I, I feel like it, it ensures you, future proofs you in radio, I think. Very brilliant advice. Thank you. Andy, your final question from the box now. Okay. Say when. Let's go when. Can you complete this sentence? I wish I'd never. <laughs> wish I'd never. Is it bad to say I don't? I, I genuinely don't have any like regrets of anything, anything I've done. I've got I, I, all of it. I've got kind of a weird, kind of a weird detached approach to stuff that everything happens for a reason. I mean, I remember going for the, the breakfast show gig at Swindon, getting down to the final two, and they gave it to somebody else, and I was gutted. And then our, our demo got picked up by a guy called Scott Muller, Australian producer called Scott Muller, who, who said to GWR Bristol, listen to this, give this guy a shot. If I hadn't have lost out on that job to, at Swindon, I'd never have been on this career track that I got put into now. So, I, I, you know, I, I don't I don't ever regret anything because I always think down the line that this this is all mapped out. I don't sound like David Icke, but it is all kind of mapped out for you, really. So something that can seem as a quite a big reverse at one point actually may end up being the reason why, you know, something good happens down the line so I, I, yeah I, it's a bit of a weird answer but I don't I don't I don't kind of regret anything like that at all really it's a good answer Andy you're very well known as one of radio's good guys so thank you for for doing this podcast with me I've got one last question for you it's the end of the world and you have to play the last three records on earth what would those records be Andy Bush okay wow that's a, that's a hell of a responsibility I would go with Monaco what do you want from me which is one of my favorite songs ever Amazing song. I love that song. Bit of Peter Hook. Hooky on bass. What do you want from me? It's not how it used to be. You've taken my life away. Ruining everything. What do you want? I'm a huge fan of, of uh, uh, an American kind of alt rock band called Shellac. So I would play A Minute by them. That's Steve Albini's band. I was very nervous that you were going to say Nick about them. <laughs> Imagine that. You're going to have to con- yeah, <laughs> conclude this interview. And then, um, I, I mean, we've played them loads of times on the show, but we never really play this song. I still love Shiver, Coldplay.
think that's a great song. So they would be my three my three tracks to sign off ahead of the apocalypse. What a way to go. What a way to go. Andy, thanks so much, mate. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And that was How to DJ. How to DJ. How to DJ. Thanks for listening. Please remember to follow us wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you.